Tonight's scripture reading is on page four of your bulletins and is from Acts 15, one through 21. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order and order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old." Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immortality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would speak to the hearts of your people in this place. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit, Lord. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, O oh Lord. Send us a word from on high. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. My name is Andrew Russell, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you. Um, if you are new here, happy Black History Month. Um, happy Lord's Day. Happy Sunday. Um, and we've been going through a series in the book of Acts about what God is forming, this one new people, this, this people that is composed of Jews and Gentiles from all over Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, all over the world. And, and so we meet here in Acts chapter 15. 
And before I begin, I, you know, as I was thinking about Acts 15 and what it means to be a Gentile, I thought about, you know, wondering, what if the Pharisees can see me in the year 2023, the, these particular Ju Judaizers, as, as we call them, uh, and there was just some of them. It was not all of the Jews because there were Jewish Christians who uh, were, uh, had no issues with the Gentiles. But particularly these Judaizers, what if these Judaizers, these Pharisees, these Jewish Christians could see me in 2023? Would they let me into this new church that God is forming in the book of Acts? A church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with unity, diversity, and humility, people selling their possessions and, and, and belongings and distributing to their proceeds to all according to their needs. This dynamic body of people who long to see God at work, who long to see the God's kingdom come and God's will be done. With those particular Jewish Christians in Acts 15, except this Gentile Christian from Nassau, Bahamas, would the PCA accept me? Would they accept my brown skin, my embodied spirituality that liberates my soul from the primacy of the mind? Would they dance with me with goatskin drums and cowbells shaking in the background? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than you think because it includes an island boy like me. You know, John Stott in his, uh, when John Stott looked at this chapter in, in the preliminary uh, leading up to uh, what's going on in Acts 15, this is what he said. John Stott is a, uh, a preacher and a theologian. He says that something quite different was now happening, however, something which disturbed and even alarmed many. Gentile converts were being welcomed into, into fellowship by baptism without circumcision. They were becoming Christians without becoming Jews. And then he goes on to say, was their vision big enough to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not a reform movement within Judaism, but was good news for the whole world? So how big is your vision for the church? Is your vision big enough to make you feel uncomfortable? Is your vision for the church big enough to scare you? You know, about 55% of Washington, D.C. is not white. What if our church reflected the demographics of D.C.? There are many homeless people outside of our doorsteps. What if we could reach every homeless person in Chinatown and they would fill the room? D.C. is becoming less religious following the trend of other northeastern uh, cities and, and, and states of the United States. But what if there was a spiritual revival in D.C. that rivaled those of Africa and Latin America and Asia? You know, I was on Twitter and I saw, I think, in Asbury College. Have you all heard about this revival that's going on in Asbury College? Apparently, they've, they've had a revival now for almost three days. And this worship service has been going on for 50-something hours. And people are coming from all over just to see what is going on. What if a revival could break out in D.C. like that? 
What if following Jesus could cost you your life, your, your comforts, your sense of security? Does this vision scare you? Does it disturb you? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than what you think it is. And that's the whole point of this sermon. I'm going to talk about that, that one thing, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ fleshed out in two point A's, like one A and one B. One A would be the law. The law shows us our need for the gospel. And secondly, one B, the grace of God helps us to see that the law is fulfilled in Christ and shows us the beauty of God's gospel. So point one A, the law shows us our need for the gospel. So what is the gospel? If somebody asks you, what is the gospel? And you know what? I'm going to ask somebody, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to switch it up. I'm, I need two people in this room to tell me what is your um, understanding of what the gospel is. Just two people. You can shout it out. We, this is a safe space, you know. I'm, I'm from the Bahamas. It's all good. Um, two people. What, when, if, if I were to say, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, how would you respond? How would you, what is your understanding? Anybody, two, just two people. I know this is not very Presbyterian, but it's all. <laughs> yes, sir. The good news, okay? The good news about what? And some, can somebody break that down? What is the good news? That he died for us, Amen that he rose from the dead, amen. Yes, the gospel is the good news. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead for our righteousness so that we can come into the family of God, sons and daughters of the king. But what does it mean to be saved anyway? What are we saved from and what are we saved for? Well, we are saved from eternal separation from God. We are saved from spiritual death, which means that uh, we cannot respond to God. We are uh, saved from hell and, and condemnation and judgment. And we are saved for eternal life, to be with God eternally in his presence as sons and daughters enjoying his presence for joy, for pleasure, and for glory day after day, forever and ever. You know, many scholars believe that Acts 15 and Galatians 2 are related. And in Galatians 2, Paul and Barnabas go up to Jerusalem and, and they share with the apostles and the elders that God had called them to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Yet, it says in Galatians that false brothers were secretly brought in to spy on them and to judge them on the freedom that they had in Jesus Christ. But they did not submit to them. In Galatians 2, verse 11 through 14, Paul opposes Peter to his face when he came to Antioch because certain men came from James, the apostle. Now, these were the same men in Acts 15, verse 1. Now, James did not send them, but they sought to put Peter against Paul. They, they, apparently, Peter was eating with the Gentile Christians, but when Peter saw the Jewish Christians who had come from James, the, he separated himself from the Gentiles because he feared the circumcision party. These men also influenced other Jewish Christians, even Barnabas, 
was, was, was being influenced by these men. And so Paul, seeing that this conduct was not true to the gospel, Paul said, if you though, he said to Peter, if you though being a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? For a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith through Jesus Christ. So, so Paul had, had, had explained to Peter, look, brother, you are not living in accordance to the gospel. And we see that Peter actually listened to Paul because later on, Peter is before the Jerusalem council saying, look what God did. Look what God is doing. And so as we, as we look at what is going on in, in Acts chapter 15, the, the Jewish Christians who had come down from Judea were preaching legalism, but not grace. They were adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They said that Jesus' death on the cross, the good news of the gospel, we talked about that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose to bring us into the family of God, that that was not enough. Unless you are circumcised or unless, and, and as well as following the Mosaic ceremonial laws, that person cannot be saved. How many times do we add to the gospel? There are many times. I'll give you four, four different uh, instances. Some might say that church attendance and service are enough to prove that you are saved. If you go to church, if you're a good person, that's all you need to do. But there's no true heart change. There's no true relationship. And so my question to that person would be, has the gospel changed the way that you live Monday through Saturday? Secondly, some might say, you know, following the Ten Commandments. If you just follow the Ten Commandments and you obey God's moral laws, then you are saved. You know, I grew up in a church that, that had this understanding I was a legalist. I believe that if I, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer and I, and I tried hard to follow God's moral law that I would be saved and I would be acceptable in Jesus Christ and in God's sight. And so my, my, accept, my acceptableness in God's sight depended on my uh, doing good work. How good was I? You know, I, I grew up saying, you know, if you listen to Tupac, like I told my cousins, if you listen to Tupac and Biggie, um, and Puff Daddy and some of these folks, that's devil music. I remember saying, that's devil music. And my cousins were like, what? And I said, you know, you got to stop listening to that. So for me, I was a legalist. I, I believe you had to listen to certain music. You had to, you know, not go to movies. You had to not cuss. You had to, you had to present yourself as perfect so that God can accept you. And I, I was a legalist because I, I, I saw that, that God was only satisfied with me when I performed, when I did good, when, when I uh, obeyed God's law. I believe that it, the moment that I messed up, then my, my salvation was on shaky ground, that if I messed up, maybe God is going to send me to hell. Maybe, maybe God will not love me. And three... Some people might say that having the right theology or knowing scripture perfectly or really well saves you. But to that person, I would say, how do you live out the scripture? What does practical godliness look like in your life? You could have all the Bible knowledge you want, but if you're a horrible neighbor, maybe the gospel hasn't penetrated your heart. 
And fourthly, we add to the gospel by saying that if you're not the same political party as me, or you don't believe in cer certain social causes, then you're not truly saved. You know, when I was in Dallas, and I'm not going to say any names or where, but I was in Dallas, and I was talking to this one lady, and I was telling her, you know, I'm, I'm going to Washington, D.C. to be a pastoral fellow, and in this church, Grace Downtown, it's, it is, they have black and white they have Asian and, and some Latino. They have a, a diversity. They're cross-cultural. And you have Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, when I said the cross-cultural piece with, you know, black, white, Asian, and some Latino, she, she was like, okay, that's cool. But when I said Democrats and Republicans, she said, how can a Democrat be a Christian? So... <laughs> It, that's not my words. This is this lady's word. And so sometimes we, we become legalists, right? We say, well, if you don't belong with the same political party, you can't truly be saved. So anytime we add to the gospel, we say that Jesus Christ is not powerful to transform an individual or a group of people. We put unnecessary burdens on other people that make it difficult for them to build to, to be in this new community that is centered on Jesus Christ. And Peter even recognized this at, at the Jerusalem Council. He said in, in Acts 15, verses 10 through 11, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. In Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 2, before God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, this is what God says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God essentially said that before you knew me as a lawgiver, you knew me as a person of grace. God established this covenant of grace with his people, starting with the Abrahamic covenant. So before even God gave the law, he, God says, I delivered you out of the house of slavery. Before you can even break one of the Ten Commandments, I delivered you. I loved you. I put my, I put my name on you. And we see this in the Abrahamic covenant where God promised to give Abraham land and to make him a great nation. That through Abraham and through the nation of Israel, all the world would be blessed. And this multitude of people included both Jews and Gentiles, as many, as, as many stars as there in the sky. God introduced himself as a gracious and compassionate deliverer before Israel knew that he was a lawgiver. And we see the same pattern in the beginning of Genesis. When God created Adam and Eve and before God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Bible says that God formed mankind out of the dust of the ground and breathed into mankind the breath of life. And so when man and woman first woke up, the first face that they saw was the face of a loving God. It's like a baby that just came out of the womb, right? When the baby comes out of the womb or a C-section or however the baby comes, when the baby comes and, and looks at its mother and sees that face, that's the first introduction to the world that the baby has. 
And so to that baby, the world is a safe place. The world is a place where people smile at you, where they, where they see you with dignity and respect. And, and so mankind knew the, the loving and compassionate face of God before they knew the law of God. The problem some of the Jewish Christians had is the problem we all naturally have. We are all legalists. We all measure ourselves and each other by how well we keep the laws and without any desire for seeing how those laws foster a loving community founded on grace. You know, uh, Herman Bovink, this one theologian, he says that, that law is the incomplete gospel and the gospel is the complete law because the law cannot fully justify you. It gives you, uh, it, it can't give you eternal salvation. The law can't give you eternal life. And Paul echoes this truth in, in Galatians 3. He says, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So we've always had this problem, right, of understanding law and grace because we all struggle with perfectionism on some level. We struggle to prove our own worth, and I, I believe our idol, you know, uh, I believe last week um, Pastor Glenn talked about idols, the things that we worship. So when you think about our culture and, and one of the things that we hold in high regard and high value is the, the idol of meritocracy. Meritocracy says that, that money, that power and influence are given to people based on talent, effort and achievement rather than wealth or social class. Meritocracy is all about performance, and performance is what we use to measure a person's worth. Everyone's worth is always measured up to some standard of perfection. And because we all desire to be worthy of love and acceptance, we can easily fall in perfectionism. Cole Arthur Riley, the, the young lady who wrote the, uh, the liturgy that we, uh, Confession of Faith that we did last week, she defines perfectionism as a form of self-hatred. This is what she says. She says, stop destroying yourself and learn the language of self-compassion. You don't have to be perfect to be loved. I think somebody needs to hear that. You don't have to be perfect to be loved. Some of the Jewish Christians relayed this same message to the new Gentile converts. They said that you're not worthy of full acceptance and love, nor of God's full acceptance and love, until you become circumcised and obey the Mosaic ceremonial laws. Some of the Jewish Christians failed to understand how grace works, and yet they were still saved. You can still be saved and not understand how grace applies to your life. That's how good God is. The truth is that the Jewish Christians, they needed the Gentile Christians. They needed them to help shape this New Testament church, this one new people of, of every tongue and tribe, this diverse body that's giving uh, uh, the proceeds of what they have and helping people in need. Paul would even go to the synagogues and the Bible said that when he went to the synagogues, he would first preach to the Jews. He would go to the Jews and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But eventually, Paul stopped going to the Jews. He stopped going to the synagogues because the opposition became so fierce. And he left the synagogue 
and focus his attention on ministering to the Gentiles. Check this out in Acts 13. The scripture says, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, the Jews, since you have thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. In our desire to be a cross-cultural church, seeking to reach the city, seeking to reach uh, the Gentiles and Jews seeking to reach people of every tongue and tribe and ethnicity and nation. Let us not become like some of the Jewish Christians who place unnecessary burdens on people to assimilate or to become like us culturally because God will raise up a Paul and Barnabas to leave our Sunday gatherings in order to build up the church in the streets, in the homeless shelters, in the office spaces, and in the marketplace. Second point, the grace of God. The grace of God uh, uh, helps us to see that the law is fulfilled in Christ and it shows us the grandeur of the gospel. You know, one of the questions, uh, uh, first of all, uh, raise your hand if you're in a CG, a, a community group. These are small groups that meet throughout the city and we meet into fellowship and we pray and we talk about scripture. Thank y'all. So these community groups, these small groups that meet all over the city, we uh, talk about the sermon for the next Sunday. And so this past week's uh, CG discussion guide, uh, one of the questions really hit me. It says, is there an area of your life where you struggle to apply the grace of God? And let me ask you a question as I, as I was struggling with this question. A lot of times when I, when I hear a question, I think of other questions. And, I, and, 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 and I mean, let me put this to you. Do you know that God loved you before that you can try? He, he loved you before you could even impress him with your performance. Think about a time when you felt closest to God. I don't know about you, but I have a time in my life that I felt close to God. I was in a mission trip in Uganda, and I felt the presence of God in such a powerful way. And I've always wanted that feeling. I'm like, Lord, and I always compare myself to that feeling. Like, you know, I had this wonderful spiritual, you know, time in Uganda, and, and every, every other moment in my life seems to be less than that. But what if God loved you in that closest point? When, whenever you felt closest, what if God loved you like that, even when you felt far away? At your worst, we even said it in the uh, time of confession. Think about a time, right, when you were most angry or, or most disappointed with God, a time or, or a time when you felt God the most angry or disappointed in you. Do you know that God loved you in that moment? the same as he loved you when you felt closest. God's love for you never changes. You are worthy of love before you even knew what love was or even what self-worth was. 
Stephanie Gretzinger, she writes this song, Out of Hiding, and I'll, and I'll sing just a snippet of it. And, and every time she's, you know, when I hear this song, it brings me to tears. She says, come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, but I hold the key. Because I loved you before you knew it was love. I saw it all, but still I chose to cross. There's no you were the one that I was thinking of when I rose from the grave. And, you know, the song says, I saw it all. I saw all your mistakes. I saw all your sin. I saw all your shame. I saw everything that, every bad thing that you would bring horror if we were to expose it in front of people. I saw all of that, and still Jesus Christ chose the cross. That's grace. That is the grace of God. God has always been full of grace. We see this in Psalm 116, in Joel chapter 2, and in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. And this is God speaking to his people, the Jews, in, in the Old Testament. He says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it, it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. It is because God loves you. Why does God love you? He loves you because he loves you. There's nothing that you can do about it. And so when we think about grace, what is grace? We, we throw these terms, right? A lot of times you're in church and you hear these terms and you wonder, what, what, what do we mean by grace? We've been singing it singing it over and over again. But I give you a, a really simple definition. Grace is getting what you did not earn or deserve. I'm, I'm going to share a story of grace. And even when I share this, I'm, I'm, I'm getting emotional, but um, I'll share it anyways. Lord, help me. Yesterday was my birthday. I turned 40 years old. Thank you. And yesterday morning, I woke up, and I have six kids. And my two youngest, uh, not, younger sons, uh, it's, they're like the sons of thunder. Is it James and John? They're, they're the sons of thunder. These brothers... They always get in trouble, They're, but they ride or die for one another, and they fight like crazy. And so it's Isaiah and, and uh, Elijah. And, I, and so I woke up, and Isaiah, he says, Daddy, what's your favorite animal? He said, an elephant or a giraffe? And I said, you know, a giraffe. He said, okay. So I, I'm, I'm sitting in the chair. It's early in the morning. I get texts from my family, happy birthday, happy birthday, and Isaiah has a, an all these bag, and he puts his book that we bought him for his birthday. It's a book on animals. It's a thick book, and he gave me that his book, and he gave me a picture of giraffe. And then Elijah, 
he gave me this little, this little bag, you know, you could put like a watch in it, this little paper bag. And he, and he's, he said, Daddy, this is for you. And I looked in the bag, and it was a picture of me and him, and he drew this picture, and he said, Happy birthday, Daddy. But that isn't what, that's not why I'm emotional. It was the next thing that I saw. That's what made me just lose it. And so he said, Daddy, keep on looking in the bag. And I opened the bag, and I saw $5. And he said, that's for you. And I said, Elijah, that's all the money you have. This is your birthday money. I, I don't, like, no. He said, Daddy, no. I want you to have it. That is what grace is. God gives you everything that he has, and we don't even deserve it. And as I looked at my son, I just felt the grace and the love of God. You know, a lot of times when we think about um, grace and what we don't deserve or we don't earn and our struggle with perfectionism, I'll just, I'll be vulnerable here. I got about two minutes. It's 30 minutes, y'all. So we got, the Super Bowl is coming. We, we made it to 6.02, so we're a little early, amen? <laughs> a couple months ago, I was, at, I, I was at a very low point in my life. And I, I was seeing a counselor, and, and, the, and you know, the counselor was, it was talking with me, and I was saying, you know, because of my struggle with perfectionism and shame, I was talking to the counselor with all these I am nots. I, I, you know, I said, I'm not good enough. And I wrote, you know, he said, you know, counselor said, write down all your I am nots. And I said, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good pastor. I'm not holy. I'm not a good preacher. I'm not fully known. Sometimes I feel like I'm not forgiven. Sometimes I feel like I am not safe. And then after the I am not, he, he said, now I want you to think about what Jesus has done. Now, don't give me like the typical, yeah, you know, Jesus loves me because he died on the cross. He said, think about yourself specifically and write down who Jesus says that you are. And so I, I'm going to, share with you the I am's and I and I and I'm going to put this not just for me but also for you and I pray that you would see what grace looks like so when Jesus applies the grace applies the grace of God to your life this is what Jesus says that you are you are made in the image of God you are worthy of love dignity and respect you are safe you are forgiven you are wanted you are creative you are gifted you are original you are not alone you are being made new you are alive you are free you are sought after you are going to be okay. You are seen. 
you are celebrated. You are a part of this grand story. You are complex. You are kind and compassionate and gentle. You are loved. Grace is when Jesus' I am swallows up all of your I am nots. Jesus says that I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, though they die, they shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says that I am the vine and that you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in them bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Grace is when Jesus Christ I ams swallows up all of your I am nots. Will you allow the grace of Jesus Christ to swallow you up in this room? Will you take forth the, the I ams and apply it to your heart like, like butter? Because you are worth it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for giving us Jesus we thank you, oh God, that, Father, I just want to lift up anybody right now who is struggling with um, perfection, performance, feeling like they're, they, they have not measured up. They feel like they're, they're not wealthy enough. They're not connected enough. Whatever the enough is, that you would remind them that you loved them before they even knew what love was. You loved them before that they could even mess up. You loved them before their anxiety you loved them before the depression. You, you loved them before all of it. Remind them, oh God, that grace, your grace, will transform them, that you will walk with them through the valley of the shadow of death, and that you would prepare a table before them in the presence of anything that is after them, even themselves. Father, I pray that you would show your love in this place Love on your people. Let them know, oh God, that your love conquers shame, that your love brings Gentiles into this place, that your love is cross-cultural, that your love is, is global and universal, that your love, that nothing can separate us from your love. And I pray that the love of Jesus Christ might penetrate our hearts so that we're not just Sunday Christians, but we are Monday through Saturday believers, knowing that the love of God wants to spread throughout this whole city and this whole nation and world. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.